Thank you, Nick. Praise team and all those who have been instrumental in preparing for worship today. We're glad that you're here. Thanks again for your presence and your faithfulness to worship. We're indeed privileged to be able to, to come together. If you see on the screen this morning, you notice that we're going to be looking at Romans. And so if you've been uh, participating in small group or Bible study or just uh, studying on your own, you know that we've been in the book of Romans. And so I'm not going to go into a great deal of the historical background or the setting here uh, with you this morning. But I do want to point out a couple of truths that I think is applicable for our today. And uh, let me just say that the letter was written by Paul to the church at Rome while he was in Corinth. And so if we would summarize the letter, we would say that Paul is talking about righteousness throughout the entire letter of Rome, the letter to Rome. He's talking about man's unrighteousness and contrast to God's righteousness. And so Paul in his letter is encouraging the believers to be righteous. And by the way, the word righteous means to be right. So he's encouraging us to be righteous, to be right with God, to be right with ourselves, and to be right with others. And I'm thinking, boy, could we use that encouragement today, right? So Paul is writing to the believers... He's writing to the believers at Rome, which means that he's actually writing to us because we are believers today, and I believe that we need to hear this message. We need to be right with God. We need to be right with fellow believers, fellow Christians, and we need to be right with others. Amen? Which means that this writing is for us today. We need to be right. Today, if we would look at chapter 8 a bit more in depth. If I had to focus on one word in chapter 8 of the book of Romans, the word would be freedom. Freedom. We like that word, don't we? Because right now we feel kind of restricted, don't we? we? You know, maybe I needed to put a picture of a mask and then an unmask. Maybe that would be it. But I wanted to show you a couple of images this morning because these could be pictures of freedom to you. Look at the first one. It's the Statue of Liberty. It was given to the U.S. by France to celebrate America's first 100 years as a nation. It's a symbol of France's mutual desire for liberty, which, by the way, is another word for freedom, liberty and freedom. So maybe that's a picture of freedom for you. Look at this next picture. Maybe this is a picture of freedom. It's a butterfly. When the eggs are laid in, in a caterpillar, when it's born, out of the cocoon, the insect emerges, and once the wings are ready, the butterfly is released to fly. And so therefore, there's freedom for the first time for this butterfly. Maybe that's a symbol for you. Or look at this image of freedom. Earlier in this letter to the church at Rome, Paul would say that this is a symbol of being free from sin, the penalty of sin, the weight of sin, the bondage of sin. And that's only possible through a personal relationship with Jesus. Anyone need this type of freedom this morning? Or here's another image of freedom. Notice that the chains are not only broken, they are completely gone. So this person has been set free from sin and death and the grave. But this picture also implies that he has been set free to something as well. He has been set free from something, but he has been set free 
to something, and that to something is victorious life in Jesus. So I pray that as a result of our reading chapter 8 of Romans today, that we will realize that there is more to freedom than just being free from something, but there's also something to be free to. There's freedom from sin and freedom to live righteously. There's freedom from death and freedom to life. There's freedom from hell and freedom to heaven. So here's the word today. The word is freedom. Freedom. The gospel of Jesus Christ makes possible a brand new way of life for the believer. Life lived abundantly in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's freedom. Let me go ahead and give you the outline of chapter 8 this morning. In case I don't finish in the allotted time. Freedom from, and here's a list of things. Here's we're free from condemnation, the first four verses of chapter 8. We're free from the control of the power of sin. We're free from the fear of abandonment. That takes us through verse 17. So we're free from these things, but we're free to the following things. Claiming the promises of God. We're free to realize the purposes of God. We're free to be assured of the protection of God. So let's start with the freedom from. And we're going to be reading through the chapter. So I hope you have your Bibles this morning. We're looking at Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to break it down. So I'm going to go to read the entire chapter at one time. Because I don't want you to go to sleep. And I can't see your expression this morning. I'm going to have to get you to nod. All right? So we're free, first of all, from condemnation. These are the first four verses. And I don't know about you, but I kind of underline some important words to me. And so I might just tell you, I would underline that if you're one who underlines in your Bible, okay? There's therefore no condemnation. I would underline no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So I underlined in Christ Jesus who walk. And then I underlined after the spirit. Continuing in verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. No condemnation, we underline that. Because it can be defined in a courtroom language. If you ever watch any of the courtroom shows, years ago it would be Perry Mason. I know, I just dated myself, right? To have no condemnation means declared to be found innocent of the accusation. To have no sentence inflicted, not a guilty verdict. By the grace of God, believers in Jesus Christ, we will not face the condemnation of God. We have passed from death to life, we read in 1 John 3.14. Then we underline the words, in Christ Jesus. Why is this important? Because Paul mentions it 119 times in his letters. In Christ Jesus. So you see, the very apostle who received the good news of the union between the Jews and the Gentiles into one body is now using this phrase, in Christ, to describe the union of believers into one body, the body of Christ, the church. 
So regardless of where they're from, what nationality, what ethnic group, what language spoken, what color of their skin, if you are in Christ Jesus and I am in Christ Jesus, we are one in the body of Christ. That's a good place for an amen. I mean, you've got to say it louder because you've got a mask on, okay? Amen, right? But not only is there no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, we also, and Paul just gives us a list, and I know this is small print here, and so I might just send this to Stephanie, we might just send this out to everybody, but listen to the things that we do have. For those who are in Christ Jesus, we have been redeemed. We are alive to God. We are possessors of eternal life. We're free from the law of sin and death. We're members of one spiritual body. We're sharers of Christ's work. We've been sanctified. We're recipients of grace. We're secure in death. We're bold to speak the truth. We're new creatures. We're free. We're justified. We're recipients of the blessings given to Abraham. We're sons of God. One with others, regardless of race, gender, or social condition. Recipients of every spiritual blessing in heaven. Seated in the heavens. Created for good works. Brought near to God. Partakers with Jesus of his promises. Forgiven by God. We're encouraged. We're recipients of the blessings given to Abraham. We're sons of God. One with others, regardless of race and gender or social condition. Encouraged forgiven by God. Is this a great list of blessings for all believers? It's not just for one or two. It's not just for some, but this is for all believers. Folks, our salvation and freedom is not just about escaping the penalty of sin, death, hell, and the grave. It's not just about the assurance of heaven. We have blessings that God has provided through the Holy Spirit that he wants to give to his followers. But let me tell you, none of these blessings could be true if we were under the condemnation by God. But being in Christ, being in Christ Jesus, Paul says, means that we are free from the law of sin and death, which has blocked our way to every other blessing which is ours in Jesus. So this new law of the spirit of life, which Paul speaks about, has set us free from the law of sin and death and hell and the grave. Amen? So we have freedom from condemnation. But we also have freedom from the control of the power of sin. That's good to know. Freedom from the control of the power of sin. So we're going to continue reading in verse 5. For those who, and I underline this, live according to the flesh, set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I underline that. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Verse 10, and if Christ is in you, and I underline this, the body is indeed, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. That's a great verse right there. If Christ is in you, 
Our body is dead because of sin, but the spirit of life because of righteousness. The spirit is life. Verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to, mort to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to living according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, and this is a big if, and this is what I underline, if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Now that's a lot to cover right there. But I think it's important for us to know that we can't think for a minute that the power of sin is not still present in believers' life. Okay? So this is what I call the spiritual tug of war between the flesh and the spirit. But as believers, the Holy Spirit has freed us from being controlled by what whets our appetite or our selfish desires. Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, contrasted the deeds of the flesh to the fruits of the Spirit. But here, in Romans chapter 8, he's explaining that the mind of the human can be set upon only one thing. Our minds can only be set on one thing. Either it's the desires of the flesh or it's the desires of the Spirit. And so I have a chart here that I wanted you to see this morning. I'll, I'll, I'll send this to Stephanie. Um, but here's a chart. And there's a column that says, for those who live according to the flesh. And then there's a column that says, those who live according to the spirit. So if you're living according to the flesh, your mind is set on the flesh. But if you're living according to the spirit, your mind is set on the spirit, the desires of the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh leads to death. Those who live according to the Spirit, it leads to life and peace. That stands to reason. Those who live according to the flesh, you're hostile toward God. If you live according to the Spirit, you are receptive toward God. Those who live according to the flesh don't submit to God's law. Unable to submit to God's law. Cannot please God. But if you live according to the Spirit, you seek to fulfill God's law. You're able to submit to God's law. You're able to please God. Do you see the contrast? there i remember back you know hannah's just graduated but i remember when she was a freshman and we were helping her move out and uh, i heard a young man down the hallway who was who was uh, using some profanity and when he saw me he immediately stopped and said oh I, i'm sorry I, I i apologize you ever had anybody do that okay so why do you think that's happening paul paul is saying that if you're living a fleshly, undisciplined life, and suddenly you're in the presence of people who are living in the Spirit, there's this instant obligation to correct your behavior. Just like this young man at school. In the same way, when we move into an intimate relationship with the Father through the Holy Spirit, we're obligated to correct our behavior. We're in such relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit is working in and through us that we're obligated to correct our fleshly behavior. You see, too many Christians have tried to make the church too much like the world instead of being obligated to correct the behavior in order to be more like Jesus. And I think it's critical right now in the midst of the pandemic and the racial tension in our state and country, our behavior should not look like the world. But as believers living in the Spirit, it should look more like Jesus. And if it doesn't, we are obligated 
to correct it. Paul says either it's the flesh or either it's the spirit. We have the freedom to choose, which is it going to be? Thirdly, freedom from the fear of abandonment. Looking at verses 15 through 17. For, then I underline, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I underline that. That's an assurance. And if children, then we are heirs of God. I underline that. And joint heirs with Jesus, the Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. See, the Holy Spirit testifies for the believer. We are and forever will be the children of God. So we don't ever have to fear being abandoned. Now we have to think in this progression that Paul is speaking about here. He, he says, so our sins are forgiven. We've got that, right? We're dead to sin. Our body is dead to sin because Christ is now living in us. We've been delivered from sin. We're obligated now to adjust our behavior to be like Christ. So what do we do with our bodies? What do we do with our time, with our efforts, now that this sin has been removed? I might have told you part of my story, part of my testimony. Drinking socially with coworkers when I was first out of college and after we were first married. That is, until the Lord convicted me when the pastor and deacon visited us about becoming members of the church what the expectations were of membership. So now what am I going to replace with this alcoholic drink? Well, you would replace it with a non-alcoholic drink, right? What's going to replace the happy hour? What's going to fill this void in my life? What's going to take the place of the friends that I've made at work? And in the flesh, I've got to tell you, I feared what or who would take their place. And deep down, I feared that I would be rejected or I would be abandoned. You see, the void left by the absence of our sin is being filled by the Holy Spirit and the works of righteousness in time. But there is an initial fear, I, I must admit. And that's when I am reminded that idleness, say it with me, idleness is the devil's workshop. You agree? So I must fill the void with spiritual activities. Part of the reason we're seeing so many hurtful words on social media, part of the reason we're seeing so much destruction in an effort to make a stand for what is right is because we've been shut up for 12 weeks and we have too much time on our hands. How different it would be if we would spend our time with spiritual activities. After all, we can't solve the world's problems. We know who can. His name is Jesus, but we can't solve it. So why not fix our eyes and our minds on him and be about his work? He's got this. Don't be afraid of being rejected or being abandoned. In 2 Timothy, Paul says that God did not give us a spirit of fear, of timidity, 
We've been given the Holy Spirit who is love and power and self-discipline. So instead of living in the fear of life and what the future may hold, the Holy Spirit's love and power and self-discipline through us gives us a whole new perspective on life. So in the midst of our circumstances, as gloom and doom as it may seem to the world, we have hope in Jesus. He will never, ever abandon us. So we have freedom, freedom from condemnation, freedom to control the power, uh, free from the control by the power of, of sin, and we are free from the fear of abandonment. And so let me give you these free two very quickly. And so I'm going to read the scripture so that you can see that, and we're going to underline it, but I won't go into detail due to time restraints. So we are free to claim the promises of God. We're free to realize the purposes of God, and we're free to be assured of the protection of God. So let me begin with verse 18 as we claim the promises of God. Consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Amen? That's an underliner for me. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay, brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope... What we do not have yet, we wait for it patiently. Wow. The promises of God. So in the verse, first uh, four verses there, 18 through 21, we have the promise of future glory. Folks, this world is not our home. We're just passing through. And then when this finally settles in our hearts and minds that we are aliens and strangers in this world, many things will change. Our perspective will change. Our priorities in life will change. Our present sufferings will be looked at in comparison to the glory that will cause our difficulties to be insignificant. That's why my favorite hymn is turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We have the promise of full realization of what we can only taste now. The future will be glorious for the believer because they will have the full realization of what we can only get a glimpse of or a taste of today. So, folks, this gospel that we're talking about, this salvation, this freedom that we have, it's not just an appetizer. We're talking a full meal here. This is no sample platter. We have full portions. This is no measly slider. We have the whole burger. Okay? The first fruits of the Spirit that Paul is talking about in verse 23 is the down payment, the certainty that our house is on hold for us. We have the assurance from God that one day we will enter into the full inheritance as children of God. Amen? 
groaning painfully until that day. What is Paul talking about there? We should be groaning. There should be groanings. As believers, have we become so callous to sin, so used to the ways of the world, so used to the bad news, so much so that suffering and disease and many trials and tribulations of people that we have become so accustomed to it that we're no longer burdened or groaning over the curse of creation. You see, first fruits of the Spirit makes it possible for the believer to be hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. That's what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. And we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us up with Jesus. Didn't we just see that symbolically this morning through Gary's baptism? And then we have the promise of patience being rewarded. Patience. We need that, don't we? So we live in a cursed world. We groan. We're in labor pains. We long for the redemption of bodies. Paul says the one thing that is required to live in this world is patient hope. Patient hope. As a matter of fact, from the moment of our salvation, the word hope should be our theme as believers. Hope. We're saved by faith, and faith can see nothing. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Paul says our patience will be rewarded when the children of God enter into the full measure of our adoption. Let me just stop here and encourage you. As you continue to read in the book of Romans and as you have in Sunday school and small groups, there's freedom to realize your purpose of God. And I want you to read that because as we look at that, we might be considering predestination, for instance. And let me just tell you, as Paul is writing here, he's focusing our attention on God and not about us. God has predestined the purpose for your life. Are you willing to follow his purpose for your life? Then I want to encourage you to keep on reading in verses 31 through 39. Because he provides for us protection. God provides protection. If God is for us, who can be against us? It's a beautiful passage, right? Who can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus? Nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So there are five critical questions I want to end with this morning. If God is for us, who can be against us? No one, right? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And the logical answer of Paul, if God would give up his most treasured possession, if he would give up his only son to secure our salvation, do you not think that he will also give us everything that we need to bring salvation to completion? The third question is, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? And the answer is no one. God has already brought all of the charges which could possibly be brought against us to the bar of justice and declared them to be canceled, paid in full, right? Who is it that condemns? If no charge can come against us, then certainly there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Absolutely nothing. You see, Paul was a man of unshakable confidence in the love of God. He didn't fear the hardships of life, nor fear the things that creep into our minds and our thoughts. 
And Paul is just bold enough and confident enough to get them out on the table and answer these questions for believers. I pray that it's been answered for you this morning. We're free from condemnation. We're free from the control by the power of sin. We're free from the fear of abandonment. We're free to claim the promises of God, and that list is long. We're free to realize his purposes in our life and to be assured that we are protected by God. Amen? Now, something we're going to do just a little different this morning, Nick, is we're going to provide an opportunity for you to now pray and to be in agreement with God's word. Right where you're seated, we're not going to ask you to come forward, but we are going to ask you to stand, and there's going to be a song that's going to be sung, and we're going to ask you to prayerfully reflect on God's word today. And here's the deal. You have an opportunity today to be free in Jesus, free from these things and free to these things. And maybe today, as you're standing and as you're singing and as you're listening and contemplating, the Lord is speaking to you and you're saying, yes, indeed, I've not been free. I've been bound by the chains of sin and darkness. And today I want to be completely free. I want to be free from condemnation and the power of sin and the fear of abandonment. And I want to receive the promises and the blessings that God has in store for me. And so today we want to invite you to, in your own seat, in your own heart, in your own mind to do that. And we'll give you an opportunity to respond publicly a little later. Okay, let's stand together.